Well, you can have a seat. And look at this. Where are we going? I told you, Grandma's house. Why do we have to go to Grandma's house? I told you, because I need to go and work. Why you can work on a Saturday? Well, um, because if I work on a Saturday, I thought you would like to spend the night at Grandma's for a whole weekend. No, uh, you're going to Las Vegas for a vacation. No, I'm not. You're trying to dump off stuff on Grandma's so you can go out and play. Nope. Yes, you are. I just want a vacation from you kids. <sighs> That's just not fair. It's fair. No, it's this not. this weekend called Mommy and Daddy Vegas Trip. There's not going to be no kids at Vegas. I want to go to Vegas with you guys. I don't, there's nothing to do at Grandma's. Yes, there is. You can have fun, watch movies, stay open for a while. I want to go to Las Vegas. No, you're going to Grandma's. You're going to Grandma's with me. No, Grandma's is boring. There's nothing to do at Grandma's. That's what I said. You know, sometimes it's just hard. Sometimes uh, those long road trips that a lot of us remember, they're hard. Uh, you just got to stick it out and, and press on to grandma's house or your uncle's house or wherever it is with that vacation. Uh, the reality is we found ourselves in that moment where enduring is just difficult, right? The being there, the getting there, it's just, it's hard to press on at certain points in our life. And we see this, man, across the board. We, we have moments where we are burnt out or, or we're exhausted or we feel drained, right? We're at April, what, 26th? So I would probably bet that at least, I don't know, 100% of us are pretty tired right now. Like we're, we're a little drained, right? We're feeling a little exhausted with school or, or with work or with the organization that we're a part of. We're trying to wrap up this semester, but some of us are preparing for that summer internship or job or, or we're already prepping for the fall because we're in a leadership position and, and something that we need to already start kind of getting the ball rolling on that. And man, we're reaching a point in our lives that honestly we'll get to over and over and over and over again where, where we're just tired, where we're just drained, where, where we just feel exhausted. And we feel this in our, our families. We feel this in, in our jobs. We feel this in our school. We feel it in friendships at times. And sadly, many of us, all of us really that are believers, we, we feel this at times with the Lord, with, with our faith with the God of the universe who saved us out of death and into life, we sometimes, in our pursuit of knowing Him, of, of trying to do His will, man, we get to points where we feel exhausted and tired. And the reality is that the conservative guess on Christians who, who kind of walk through life, the conservative estimate on believers who are regularly engaged in religious activities, engaged in church, going at least a few times a month, conservative estimate is that 40% of those people that grow up in the church, grow up going to church, being a part of Bible studies, that whole deal, 40% of them by the age of 19 have walked away and never come back. 40%. And I'll tell you, a lot of those people, I guarantee you, were just tired. We're just exhausted. Just felt drained. So what do we do with that? 
What do we do with that feeling? What do we do with that reality that we find ourselves in where we are tired and drained and exhausted? What do we do in that moment? How do we react as believers to that reality? All semester, we've been walking through the book of Hebrews, and we've been trying to understand uh, who Jesus is and what he's done. That's what the whole book is about. And as we're reading this book, we are surrounded by a culture that tells us repeatedly that we deserve the best, that we are the best, that we need what's best, that we need to know what's best. And yet what we find in the book of Hebrews is that Jesus Christ is better. He's better than anything this world has to offer. He's better than anything someone says or someone does or someone writes down in a book or puts on TV. Jesus Christ is, is better. And we've been walking through this book and we've been seeing that ultimately he's better than the idols that we put in our lives. He's better than the identities that we find for ourselves. He's better than heroes in time. He, he's better than, than our, our failures. He's better than our exhaustion. What we find time and time again is that Jesus Christ is simply, he's better. And this morning, what we see in chapter 12 of Hebrews, right towards the end, we're almost there. We'll be there next week. What we see in chapter 12 of Hebrews is the author explaining to us that Jesus is better than our exhaustion. But in order to rely upon him, we have to, as a group, intentionally decide to look out at the people around us. We have to look in at our own struggles and we have to look up at the God who saved us. And if we commit ourselves to that task, we will find that God provides the strength that we need, the encouragement that we need. He will enable us to press through exhaustion because ultimately Jesus is better than anything that can exhaust us. All semester, as we've been walking through, we've been having to keep in mind that there is a very specific audience addressed in this book. There's a very uh, crucial context to this letter that we've been reading through. And we need to understand that most likely the group that's being written to is a group of Jewish believers in the early 60s AD. And these people grew up in the Jewish faith and yet realized that Jesus Christ was in fact the Messiah promised to them by the one true God. And so these people then abandoned their old community and have suddenly found themselves in a new, much smaller community of Christians. They've abandoned the Jewish people in their lives, family, friends, business partners, and suddenly they're, they're the underdogs, they're the scrappy upstart that all these other people are looking at and they're calling them a cult. And so because of that, in their uh, new isolation, they're being persecuted. They're being attacked from all sorts of sides. And so these people, man, there's a tendency among them, there's a growing uh, desire among them to just sort of maybe back off on certain beliefs, to maybe back off on certain practices that Christians should hold to. And so because of this desire to sort of back away from certain things, the author has been pressing into this audience, telling them, look, you need to, rather than fall away, rather than drawing back, you need to push in. You need to push further into the God who saved you. You need to hold more securely to the faith that you've put, the trust you've put in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. It says you need to hold onto that faith. You need to treat him as the anchor of your soul. And to help motivate them, he's talked about the dangers of falling away, the, the fact that you could get to a point where you are no longer allowed to grow and, and flourish. He, he encourages them by showing them examples of people like Moses. He goes into, uh, last week we were in chapter 11, he spends an entire chapter speaking about, reminding them of all these different figures that came before. 
Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all these men, all these women who have lived lives that were uh, glorifying to the Lord, who displayed not only faithfulness in their own life, but then sent that faithfulness forward, who created a legacy of faith for the next generation. And right at the very end of chapter 11, what the author does is he sums it all up. He says, all these men, all these women, he actually ends on a few people. That he's like, and you know what? I don't even have time to talk about this guy, this guy, this guy, this girl, this girl. He's just naming off all these people, all this name dropping. Where you're like, okay, come, you know, sure. And so he gets to this point, and he sums it up. And he says, but you know what? He says, all of those people, even as we've seen this incredible thing that God has done in their lives, all of those people who were so faithful, says they have not yet received the promised blessing. They have not yet attained the ultimate hope. That's how he ends off the chapter. He says, all these people were so great, so amazing. They're to be, you know, looked at and admired, and we should be encouraged by them. But you know what? They have not yet arrived at the ultimate hope, at the ultimate finish line. He says, we're the same way. All of us, our ultimate hope is in front of us. None of us have attained it. Because ultimately, our hope is not in the blessings or accomplishments or satisfactions that we can find in this world. It's not even in the ways that God can bless us or help us grow and flourish in this world. That's not our ultimate hope. It's a good thing that we should seek, but it's not our ultimate hope. He says our ultimate hope is heaven. Our ultimate hope is that we have life beyond death, that we have life beyond the destruction of this world. That's our hope. The fact that all of this brokenness, even though we can find life in it, even though Jesus Christ came out of heaven and onto earth to live, die, and rise again, to save us from our sin, from our brokenness, to mend our relationship with the God who loves us, even though we can find ourselves no longer children of wrath and yet children of the Lord Most High, even though we can attain those things that are so incredible, it says ultimately our hope is not in this world, ultimately our hope is in the fact that this world will be gone. And yet our God will remain. And we, if we trust in Jesus Christ, will remain with him. We're all looking towards that day. We're all eagerly awaiting that moment. But he says, but in the meantime, we got to press. we got to push. we got to run. Because we're not there yet. That's why he starts off chapter 12 by saying, therefore we are, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, he's going to say, we need to run. We need to keep running. But he sums it up. He's trying to say, okay, look, so all those people that I reminded you of, they are a, a motivation, they are an encouragement for us to press forward. And he talks about them as this big cloud of witnesses. And, and sometimes, you know, we'll get to this uh, and some people will teach it where they say, uh, you know, that means that we are surrounded. It's like we're on the racetrack, and they're up in the stands, and they're looking at us, and they're cheering us on. Um, and I'll tell you, that is most likely not what's being communicated here. And generally, now, scholars are like, yeah, no, that's, that's not what's being communicated. What we see here, this cloud of witnesses, are not these men and women of the faith who are looking down upon us and watching our accomplishments. They are witnesses, not as an audience, but witnesses as a testimony to the Lord. They're not witnesses of what we're doing. They're witnesses to us about what God can accomplish through broken human vessels. So we look at these people and they are encouraging to us 
because we see what's happened before. We see what God can do. It's the same term, in fact, that we get the word martyr from. These are people who were witnesses to the Lord, to what he can do, his, his faithfulness. And so we see these people that have gone before us and we say, oh, wow, that's, that's encouraging, right? That, that should motivate us. It provides instruction for us. Again, it's not people that are looking down. There's, there's no biblical evidence that, that people die and then are in heaven with the Lord and look at earth. There's no biblical grounds for that. I don't say that so that you make it your new crusade when you hear someone like, Grandma's looking, and you're like, no, she's not. Like, I don't want this to be your new mission in life. Uh, but let's just not perpetuate it. Let's not perpetuate confusion that's not biblically founded. But what we see here is these witnesses who are a testimony to what the Lord can accomplish, and they're examples, they're, they're encouragement to us. Our Old Testament is full of encouragement and examples that we can follow, which is a little bit different from what we normally think of the Old Testament as. Generally, we look at the Old Testament we're like, oh yeah, it's a bunch of weird laws, uh, maybe some prophecies. And generally, if we think of any life lessons in the Old Testament, they generally have to do with like, how to best like, murder a Philistine. Like, that's kind of a, the extent of Old Testament that we think of. And yet, what we see in Scripture is a much higher view, a much higher appreciation of that Old Testament. We see Paul in Romans 15 saying that for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. I'm talking about the Old Testament here. He says that through endurance... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. He says what we see in the Old Testament isn't just a bunch of strange laws, isn't just a bunch of confusing prophecies. What we see in the Old Testament is endurance. What we see is encouragement. That's what we gain by reading the stories of these men and these women who have gone before us. That's why this next fall, we're going to spend some time, we're going to spend the first half of the semester in the book of Judges. Because we'll be walking through, looking at these men and these women who have gone before these lives, that there's so much to learn from. If you have issues with your family, you can read about the life of, of Joseph, who had incredible family issues. His brother sold him into slavery, which is a little bit worse than that noogie you got as a five-year-old, right? Like there's is, there are deep-seated issues in his family. You, you wonder about what it looks like to deal with uh, struggle and power and humiliation. You look at the life of David. We did it a few semesters ago. And you see just incredible testimony to what the Lord can do in so many different life situations. So many amazing examples in our Old Testament. And it's healthy. It's good for us to go to those places to, to seek out that wisdom, to seek out that advice. Because, man, that's what we do in life, right? When we get to something that's uh, unknowable or something that's confusing to us, I mean, we generally seek the advice or the wisdom of someone that's gone before us. When, when my wife and I had our daughter, Charlotte, just over four months ago, we were like, okay, she's great most of the time, right? She'll, like, grab her hat and, what's up, guys? Right? Like, that's, that's amazing. But at other times, she is uh, just so strange and does the craziest stuff that we do not understand and we'll find ourselves in these moments where she's crying or she's fussing or doing whatever and we're like i don't know what to do and we just leave we just leave it no i'm just kidding no we (laughs) we and we we push we say what am i gonna and so we found ourselves suddenly seeking out these sources of wisdom and advice suddenly i found myself talking to my parents about parenting because even though I got to where I am now as a live, 
healthy, you know, like pretty well-adjusted human being, I just never really thought about the fact, oh yeah, someone like helped me do that. It was my parents. And so suddenly I found myself calling them and talking to them and be like, so how, how am I here? Like, how did this work? Like, how, how did you do this? Three times. Like, how did you do this? And suddenly I'm trying to see, I'm drawing the water out of this well, trying to learn, like, what did you do before me? As we approach things like marriage, some of us are on that path right now. We approach things like marriage. We're like, man, I got to like read a book or something, right? I had a buddy who's engaged for about six months recently, six months of engagement. He and his fiance read like literally nine marriage books, nine books in six months. I was like, whoa, (laughs) you're too informed. Like, I don't know what, that's way too much. Uh, But they just were so eager because they wanted to learn, they wanted to grow, they wanted to seek out advice and wisdom from people that had gone before. And what Paul tells us in Romans 15, what the author of Hebrews is telling us in chapter 12, is that there are people in our scripture who have gone before us. There are people who provide encouragement and examples that we can follow. There are witnesses in our scripture, in our Old Testament, that show us what the Lord can accomplish, what the Lord can do. How do we trust him in this moment? How do we behave in this moment? How do we react to this situation? It's there. It's there. Our scripture is not comprehensive. It will not cover every possible scenario you could ever imagine, but it is sufficient. Second Timothy tells us that it is sufficient, meaning that it will hit Anything we need to know, God has revealed it to us through his word, through his son, through his community. Which is why we don't only seek the wisdom from the Old Testament, which I would encourage you to do. Something maybe that if you've never really read, if you've never gone through the narratives, if you've never read uh, life, uh, the examples of our Old Testament, I would encourage you, maybe pick a figure a week and read through their life. Generally, you can do it really quickly. Some people have more written on them. A lot of people, it's like a few chapters on really big names, big people that we know. Read through their life over the course of a week. Pull out one lesson from them. There's more than one, but you can find one maybe per week. Great exercise to undertake through Genesis, through Joshua, through Judges, through the prophets. But we're not only seeking out that wisdom in our Old Testament, we also have the community. God has given us fellowship. We should be seeking the advice, the wisdom in older believers. Maybe you have a Bible study leader that you can go to. Maybe you are a leader, uh, and instead you have a coach that you can go to. Maybe you're in an organization where there's leadership there. Maybe uh, you have uh, a relationship with one of our fellows. We have a dozen fellows, full-time staff members here at Grace, who their sole purpose in life right now is to minister to you, is to help you talk with you, to meet with you. Use them. (laughs) Use that resource. Talk with us. Email us. Talk to us after this. Seek out that wisdom. Seek out that advice. A lot of us, honestly, have parents that are wise, godly men and women that we generally don't go to as a source of wisdom because we're like, "Ah, mom, right? (laughs) We get to that point, and it's crazy. And you know, honestly, it took me getting to basically parenthood to really appreciate what they are. So what I'm basically saying is have a kid right now and then you'll understand. No, not really. Uh, But you could go 
Some of us have those parents. Some of us have those Bible study leaders. Seek out the wisdom and knowledge that God has put all around you. You just have to ask. You have to initiate. Set up that lunch. Set up that meeting. Make that call. Because unless we do that, unless we seek out those people, man, we're going to find ourselves burned out so fast. If we're not looking out at the people around us, at the examples before us and in front of us, man, we're, we're going to get drained. We're going to get burned out. We're going to get exhausted. But we don't only have the people around us to look towards. What the author of Hebrews will tell us is we also need to take an honest examination of ourselves. He says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. He says, you are not only looking out at this cloud of witnesses, we are also looking in. If we plan to run with endurance, we have to honestly examine and ask ourselves, first and foremost, are we running? Do we see this as a moment where we are, in fact, running? Because generally, we go through life, you know, up before college, and, and you're having a lot of other people run for you. You're kind of in this sort of set track, and people just kind of dictate your life. And I mean, think for the first 16 years of your life, you can't even drive yourself to different locations. You are completely uh, at the mercy of older people who direct you, guide you, sign you up for things, take you to those places. Yet suddenly, you find yourself in college, and you have this new freedom, this new ability to do anything. Your wings begin to unfurl like a butterfly, and you think, what flowers shall I find? Like, what am I going to do with all of this freedom? Where am I going to go? And suddenly, we, without even realizing it, we find ourselves in the race. I mean, that's where we are. That's where all of you are right now. Some of us get there earlier, some of us get there later, but I'll tell you, at this point, you're there. You're running. You need to realize that, you know, this is the time that you're setting the course for your life. And we acknowledge this about a lot of aspects of our life, right? We know that this is where I'm setting the course for my job. That's why we have to pick certain majors and whatnot. We, we know this is where I'm setting the course for my friendships, right? I want to gather these people. I want to spend time with these people or those people. We recognize that this is the time that I'm setting the course for my life when it comes to my spouse a lot of times, right? We're looking out and we're meeting someone today. We're like, hey, so what are your summer plans? And how many kids did you want to have? Okay, cool. Right? We're just, you know, due diligence and just trying to figure out what's out there. Because we know this is a pivotal moment for us. We know that this time, these years that you spend in college, I mean, this is generally speaking where you're going to set your trajectory. No matter where you're coming from, this is, generally speaking, where you set that line, where you set that path, where you point that mark on the horizon. You say, that's where I'm going. It's true of our works. It's true of our families. It's true of our friendships. It's true of our faith. This is the time where we're deciding, where am I going? What's this relationship with the Lord going to look like? That's why we as a ministry push, push, push being in a small group. We push, push, push leading in some way, serving in some way. Not just because we want you to do it right now because we think like, oh, this is a good time to do it. We, we want you to participate in those things to experience the fellowship, to experience the service that God calls us to, not just for these few years, but because we want it to set a trajectory for the rest of your life. We want to train you in leadership because we want you to go lead as a 50-year-old, not just as a 20-year-old. We want you to be 25 years from now leading your family in the ways of the Lord, with the methods that you learn now. That's what we want for you. 
That's why we push this so hard, because we recognize this is a pivotal time. So the author of Hebrews says, look, this is so pivotal that we recognize in and of ourselves what is holding us back. What are those weights? What are those sins? He says we need to eliminate basically the hindrances in our life. We need to be aware of our weaknesses. We have to be aware of the weaknesses in our life. Otherwise, they'll continue to cripple us over and over and over again. I have a buddy who's in the Marines who's about to try out for uh, Marines uh, special operations team of mysterious ghost people. I don't know. I don't know what it's called. But he's doing this thing that's really intense where you go away for uh, nine weeks and you go through this big whole process. And he says they don't really talk about a lot of the process. They kind of tell you how to prepare. Uh, but he, and you, the, only way, the only things you hear about the program are just sort of word of mouth because everyone's like, you don't talk about it or whatever. And so someone does talk about it. And they, he's heard through the grapevine that one of the things that he'll do during this nine weeks uh, is that he will be uh, at a pool, right, because the Marines deal with a lot of water things. And so he's going to be at a pool, and they'll tell him, okay, you need to go to the bottom of this pool. You need to, like, tie this knot or, or get this block or this thing from the bottom of this pool. And he'll go and do that. And as soon as he finishes that task and he starts to come up with the block or whatever, someone else in the pool wearing diving equipment uh, will grab him and hold on to him and not let him get to the surface. And he will probably struggle against that person, but they are trained to hold him down. And they will hold him literally until he passes out, until his eyes roll back into his head, and he is, in essence, uh, drowning. And at that point, the person holding him will launch him up to the surface, they'll bring him out, and they'll revive him. And he told us this at lunch (laughs) yesterday. (laughs) And I said, why? (laughs) why are my tax dollars paying for that to happen to you? Like, I don't want, I don't want you to have to do, I'm your boss, right? Like, I can control those things, I pay your check. Uh, But he explained, he's like, well, he's like, the thing is, is that we have to go through this because we have to understand how long it takes for us to drown. He says, I just have to know that. He says, because if I'm out on the field and I'm doing something and I'm starting to freak out and I'm underwater and I'm thinking, oh no, like my lungs are getting tired. I'm feeling like maybe this is, I'm getting to the point. He says, I can know in that moment, I can look at my watch and I can know because of that experience in the pool, no, I can go, you know, whatever, three and a half minutes, three minutes, 30 seconds. That's what I know my limit is. That's what my physical threshold is for drowning. So I look at my watch and I realize it's only been two minutes and I can tell myself mentally to just calm down and say, no, it's, it's going to be okay. And I was like, yeah, well, we'll see if that really works. <laughs> but that's the point. They want to know the extent of their weaknesses. They want to know how far they can go because you need that. You need that when you, the hard times come. To truly endure, you have to know what are the weaknesses, what are the things holding me back. And the author of Hebrews says there are certain things that weigh you down and there are certain sins. And he makes a distinction here. Generally, we think of the immoral things. We're like, oh, well, there's, you know, this sin or that sin or this bad thing. And yeah, those things can hold us back. Some of us right now are even thinking of that sin, that one thing, that, that one issue that continues to just grab us time and time and time again. But sometimes it's a weight. In other words, it's not necessarily something that's immoral. It's sometimes something that is amoral, that it's just sort of neutral. There's nothing necessarily bad or good about it, and yet we find ourselves drawn to it. We spend so much time and energy in it that it weighs us down. It holds us back. It's not necessarily wrong, but it is a waste. I went 
once more to the beautiful pool of knowledge that is Netflix statistics. And I discovered that in this past January, okay, so this is more recent, this past January, in one month, one month, we, as Netflix subscribers, consumed, watched 114,000 years of content (laughs) in the month of January. (laughs) That is so much. That is so much. That is so much. And it's something that in and of itself isn't necessarily bad, right? We look at something like taking a break. And it's good to sometimes just detach, to just relax, and you watch a thing or whatever it is. Or it could, be even, it could be a documentary on space, and you're like, I need to watch that for life. And that can be a good thing. We'll watch planet Earth. That's good, right? And that's true to an extent. But we can allow these things to become weights. If we take an honest look at ourselves, we need to ask ourselves, okay, well, how much time and energy am I really putting into this? Because the reality, the truth, is that our endurance relies upon our ability to identify these issues, to push them aside, because our endurance depends upon intentional development. We have to be mindful and intentional with the way that we approach our own ability to endure. We have to look in and, and identify those issues. This is especially true, or we see this especially, in this very real, very real 1989 training video from the beautiful Wendy's Corporation. Now working the grill, Bill, it ain't so tough. But first of all, you got to check your stuff. Like a grill that's set at 250 with the meat and cheese that's ready to go. A towel to keep your station looking cool. But most of all, you got to have your tools. Are you with me now? Get ready. We're gonna lay them down. Now beats got grain to it just like wood. You got to follow the arrow to lay it down like you should. From the front to the back, you got to lay it down. Space it evenly, not scattered around. Next, you got to salt the meat from the back to the front to make the taste complete. Not too little, not too much. With a little finesse, you'll get the touch. <laughs> this song alone goes on for three more minutes, all right? This is... Incredible. This video as a whole is like 20 minutes. They have other videos that are full of just delightful singing and a spatula playing. Uh, but it's something that I look back on that we look at and we're like, oh my gosh. Like, Wendy spent an incredible amount of time and energy on wanting to train their employees on how do you properly use a grill. Right? They identified that as a very real need. And they said, let's, let's really let's put our time and energy and insane fever dreams into that <laughs> go into that practice, right, to really train them up. And yet we find ourselves as believers claiming to know and follow the God of the universe, right? The the God who created all things. Yet how much time and energy do we actually spend on trying to learn about him, to grow in knowledge of him, to grow in the ways that we live for him? How much time... Do we really spend on that compared to those weights that we sink our time and energy into? Compared to those sins that hold us back? How much energy are we really expending in a pursuit of this God who ultimately is the only source 
of perseverance. He's the only source of strength that's going to help us in those times of need. He's the only way that we're going to not feel burned out. He's the only way we're not going to feel exhausted. What do you need to eliminate in your life? But then also, what do you need to embrace? What helpful thing can you gather? What, what study could you do? What, what book could you read? What, what just time could you lock away in your day to just spend in prayer or worship or, or silence? There's two great questions that I've carried with me for a number of years that helped me just sort of get a grasp on this sort of self-identification, really getting an honest look, okay, well, where am I? How am I doing? I asked myself two things. I asked myself, where am I known? In other words, who's keeping me accountable to those weights, to those sins? Who's keeping me accountable in, in those areas where I know, those weaknesses that I know could cripple me? Where am I known? Who am I transparent with? Who am I being honest with? If there's not anyone, if my answer is nowhere, then I need to find someone. Where am I known? And also, where have I grown? In other words, where am I growing and learning and developing? And again, if my answer is nowhere, I need to change that. I need to have something that I'm listening to, something I'm participating in, a study I'm at, a podcast I listen to, a a service that I attend. I need to have some area of my life where I'm learning and growing about this faith that I claim to love and follow. And if I'm not doing that, if I'm not taking care of my own development and growth in that way, I'm going to burn out. I promise you, you're going to burn out. We're looking out for encouragement. We're looking in with that honest assessment. But the author of Hebrews wraps it up by telling us we need to look up. We need to look to the God who saved us. We need to be looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Right here he says we're looking to Christ. When he says looking to him, it's not just seeing Jesus. What we see here is actually a term that's often used to actually just mean I am trusting in him. To look in this case is to trust. It's the same terminology that's used in Numbers 21 where the people of Israel were walking in the desert and they started to, uh, they did these things to anger the Lord and the Lord said, okay, I'm going to send all these little snakes and they're going to bite you. And so all these people get bit by snakes and they're dying. They're sick and they're dying. And so then Moses goes to the Lord and says, have mercy on these people, you know, like forgive them, please. And he says, okay, I tell you what, I'm going to give you, you're going to create this bronze serpent. You're going to create this uh, statue, essentially, of a big bronze snake. And you're going to put it on a pole and you're going to lift it up in the center of the camp and anyone who looks at it will be healed. So Moses does it, sets up the snake. They, tell, they spread the word, like, hey, if you just got to look at the snake, then you'll be healed. And sure enough, people look at the snake, and they're healed. And yet, in that account, some people refuse to look. They're like, nope. And they die. What's happening in that moment, what's happening in this passage is that we're not just looking at it like, oh, there's some magical property about this vision or about this sight. There's nothing mystical about that snake in Numbers 21. What that was was simply a way for the people to outwardly display an inward attitude. It was a way for their behavior to reflect what they already believed. It was a way for them to 
reveal through an action what their true attitude was. The author of Hebrews is telling us it's not just the action of saying like, oh yeah, Jesus, like having a picture of Jesus in your car or on your wall or whatever it is. It's the attitude of faith. That's why you're not saved by works, right? Those things don't matter. And yet God calls us to works. Why? Because the works that we perform as believers don't add to our salvation, don't gain it in the first place, but it's a way to demonstrate to the world around us that faith that saves. It's a way to show people outwardly what's changed inwardly. The author of Hebrews says we need to have this attitude of faith, looking at Christ who endured, despising the shame, is seated at the right hand of God. Christ who endured through faith. You look at someone who prays a whole lot in Scripture, Jesus Christ. He walked by faith. He trusted. He counted on that joy set before him. Consider him. We need to be considering Christ who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, who was persecuted in ways that we can't even imagine, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In other words, we are encouraged by Christ because he won, because <laughs> he's seated at the right hand of God. We're not encouraged by Christ because he did a good job and then died, and okay, great. No, he went through those things. He's gone beyond death. He's preparing a place for us in heaven with his Father. He's our high priest, our Savior. He's that anchor for our soul. So when we look to him, we're encouraged and we're enabled to endure only by his power. So when we look at this, we can know it, we can absorb this information, and you know, we could listen to a million talks on this, and I'm sure there are a thousand million talks on this. You could look up, listen to, read a book on it. That's great. But the reality is that this, is on, this knowledge only goes as far as you're willing to take it. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do this week? What are you going to do today to endure? You feeling drained? You feeling tired? Are you just going to sit in that? Continue in that exhaustion? Are you going to change it? Are you going to do something about it? There's a man by the name of James Hudson Taylor, seen here, with super awesome sideburns and a wife who looks bored. Uh, but he is a guy who lived, born in the early 1800s, uh, and he had a ministry in China in the later 1800s. Uh, he started, actually, a ministry that he called the China Inland Mission, and he served there for 51 years. Okay, late 1800s, 51 years in China. And this is when no one wanted to go to China. Like, the, people, the only people in China were born there. Like, no one was wanting to, like, go there from outside. And James Hudson Taylor said, no, I'm going to go there because those people were created by God, and I want to share the gospel with them. God wants me to share the gospel with them. And so he went. And for 51 years, he served there, started this mission. He recruited over that 51 years over 800 missionaries, 800 missionaries to go to this place that no one wanted to go. Over the course of his ministry of 51 years, it's estimated they had about 18,000 people come to know the Lord. 18,000 Chinese nationals put their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins thanks to the ministry that he was in. So people looked at James Hudson Taylor, and they asked him time and time again, what, how, do you, how are you doing this? Like, how have you done this? How, you, 51 years. 51 years. 
50% of people that go into ministry don't last more than five. 50% of people that go into full-time ministry don't last more than five years. He lasted 51 years in inhospitable land. People said, how did you do it? And he told them, I love this. He said, all of God's giants have been weak men. All of them. All of God's giants have been weak men who did great things for God because they reckoned on his being with them. We are only able to endure because we have a Savior who endured so much more than we'll ever face. We will only endure if we intentionally decide to look out at those examples, to look in, find our weaknesses, and to look up at our God who saved us, who loves us, who wants to empower us, enable us to continue enduring for his sake. So what we're going to do here for the next few minutes is we're going to grab a partner, one or two, and you are going to pray together. And I know that we've been trying this for the past few weeks, and, and sometimes it's like we, we only get to like the, we share, and maybe not even everyone gets to talk. We generally sometimes don't even get to the prayer part. So I'd encourage you this morning, let's just, let's power through what we're actually sharing. Let's, let's share, first and foremost, uh, who are you going to talk to this week about keeping you accountable? Just give a name. Jim, Sally, whatever. Just give a name. Or if you want, you can be more vague. You can say my roommate or my friend, whatever. That's fine. Vague or specific as you want. I'd encourage you, give the name of the person that you're going to talk to this week about keeping you accountable in those weaknesses that you've identified. And then share with that person, where is it that you want to be growing? Where is it in your walk? Is it in your ability to trust the Lord? Is it in your ability to uh, evangelize, to share your faith with other people? Where is it in your walk with the Lord? What have you identified as, man, this is somewhere that I could really grow in my knowledge of this or in my practice of that? Share that with your partner of one or two people. And then pray for each other, please. Pray for one another. Take advantage of the fact that we are not alone. We're not a group of isolated individuals, but we are a body. We are a body together. So pray for that brother or that sister that's sitting next to you. Pray for them today. Pray for them this week. So go ahead and grab a partner, pray. I'll rope us back in here in a minute. God, we thank you that you have provided such a cloud uh, of witnesses. God, of people, of men and of women who, who are testimonies to not their own ability or not their own accomplishments, but God, they are testimonies to what you can do. God, what you can accomplish. God, we think that there are figures, there are those witnesses to be found in our scripture. God, we think that there are witnesses like that to be found in many of our families. God, maybe uh, in our roommates and our friends. God, we think that no matter where else we look, that God, there is a cloud of witnesses here this morning. That there are men and there are women right now sitting next to us who are testaments to what you can do. God, there are lives sitting right in front of us, right beside us, that were changed by your power alone. God, we ask that we would be faithful to talk with these people, meet with these people. God, on Sundays and and outside of Sundays, God, we would have moments and times where we 
we are gathering with like-minded believers, men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ, to speak and talk uh, about the hard things in life, God, that we would, we would identify those issues and help each other uh, fight against those, those weights, but that, God, we would also encourage one another, that there would be great uh, just joy found in that fellowship, God, in that commun- community. If you would, take a moment right now and just on your own, ask the Lord to convict you. Ask the Holy Spirit to move in your heart, move in your mind, and grab a hold and point out that thing that's weighing you down. That issue, that struggle. Maybe it's a sin or maybe it's just a a waste of your time. Ask the Lord to convict you where that is, what that is. But then ask the Lord to then help show you who can speak into that? Who can keep you accountable in that? Who can encourage you in that? Who can you share that burden with? Ask the Lord to not only convict you of where you're struggling, but to show you who can walk alongside of you in that struggle. Ask God to bring that to your mind right now.